need help, if you need assistance, you come and you check these rules and you remember them, because these will get you through this. Do not let me, one, die. It, it misses the point of hiding out here. Don't let me die. Two, don't harm anyone or let me harm anyone unless it is avoidable. Four, no, wait a minute, three. Hello, everybody. Uh, either patrons who uh, are enjoying this uh, fresh or, or main feed listeners who have been waiting eagerly to hear it. Uh, welcome to our take on human nature. I am, I'm as surprised as all of you, I am your GM for the day, Michael Nixon. Uh, I'm filled with regret and already quite terrified. Uh, I am joined by our incredible players, uh, the exquisite Dan Peck, Travis Killian. Hello. Along with the wonderful Kate Lay as Carrie Vu. Uh, hello, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here. We're going to cry together, dream together, bury bodies together. Uh, okay. Um, uh, additionally, we are joined by the ever-wonderful, uh, usually our doctor, but today, actually, he's still our doctor, uh, Riley Silverman. Hello. I, I, did not, I did not know we were burying bodies. I did not sign a waiver for that, and I'm a little concerned. I didn't either, but it tracks. I'm okay with it. And uh, joining us uh, as a character I will introduce later is our, our usual game master, the exquisite, the wonderful Ben Patton. Hello, hello. I am uh, alive. And uh, I was burying bodies uh, before the call started, so I'm all ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. We just do it on a Tuesday, go get tacos afterwards, yeah. talk about life. We're behind the paywall. We can confess to crimes. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, I have I had a really good alibi for Tuesdays. If anyone is listening, just, you know, when they were not, admitting to not this th crime. I wasn't there. I was typing this up. You know the classic saying about Patreon feeds, which is be paid, do crimes. So yeah. Yeah. It's perfect. <laughs> yes. I've long said that the absolute worst experience as a tabletop RPG player is feeling like you are stuck in the GM's novel. So it's fitting that my first proper experience GMing the podcast is sticking you all in someone else's. But Human Nature by Paul Cornell is one of my favorite Doctor Who stories, one that I think has only increased in relevance over time. And of all the things that inspired me, it was a fan-made charity book, Forgotten Lives, detailing uh, various stories of uh, my favorite uh, corner of the various apocrypha of the Doctor Who universe, the Morbius Boys, that got my gears turning. Uh, in one of the, uh, the depictions of one of these past Forgotten Lives doctors, the artist Paul Hanley notes that this is the first doctor who loved the human Joad Redfern. And that got me thinking... What if these are all stories that repeat? What if these uh, stories through Doctor History, things like Atlantis and Joan Redfern and Human Nature, uh, they do repeat within the Doctor's life, that, that they do experience these things over and over again. And that got me thinking about uh, this group of incredible players that I work with and how I think that a game of Rassilon version 
of human nature, an adapted version uh, designed uh, for, for, for this experience, uh, could be something really, really unique. Um, these players, players that I've had the pleasure to watch, take notes on and mostly get in the way of. Uh, I know they can uh, bring us something very special out of a story that I know is challenging. Um, we've all decided that we're not going to pull any punches on this one. Uh, this is not a no-bummers affair, sorry. The story tackles aliens and time travel and history, sure. But it also tackles the dark heart of prejudice. Deep, wretched prejudices that have haunted humanity across the centuries and, very acutely, today. To be honest, I am equal parts excited and terrified, which is probably why I'm taking so long to get to it. Anyway, here's Wonderwall. Wait, hang on. It's human nature. Fear. That's the first thing you feel, rippling across your skin as you leap to ground level. The explosions that surround you aren't exactly new, but your servant's fears are. She's been a good servant, attentive, loyal, kind, but now she's in absolute terror. She reeks of the chase scent. She shouts to the lesser servants, tries to reassure them, but you know better. You run to her, too small to catch her as she falls, but there to shout to her. You blink to each other. She tells you it will be all right. And then she is gone. A strange dream, isn't it, Sarah Jane? But you wake up with a jolt, raising your head slightly to meet the piercing gaze of who seemed to be the POV of that dream, your sweet cat Gunther, who still comfortably loafed on your chest. Her lovely collar, the red jewel set in the middle, uh, resting against uh, your heart. Uh, what do you do? I, I'm, I'm used to this experience, I think, of these strange dreams that I have. And so I, I reach for the journal that I keep beside my bed, and I kind of scooch a little bit in bed in a way that, that obviously prioritizes Gunther's comfort, because I know that she is very cranky if I disturb her while she's comfortably laying in the morning. And so I give her a couple scratches and then I open up my journal and I write down everything I can remember from this particular version of a dream and what I can, like I, I draw a little drawing as well of, of the strange and wondrous things that I have seen in it. And then I kind of do a quick kind of like check over of my body like I do most mornings and sigh to myself at the consistent state of it. There's a knock at your door, left open a crack for the night to let Gunther in, uh, let Gunther in and out for her various evening adventures. And you know who it is before you hear him. It's your brother Travis, no doubt on the way downstairs to open the bookshop you share rooms above. You, uh, your brother Travis, and your longtime friend Carrie, uh, live together on the top floor of a uh, three-floor building. Uh, well, uh, two floors uh, above ground in a, a basement that is, of course, the storage for the, the ground-level Killian's Booksellers, a bookshop that the three of you uh, have been operating together. Now, Travis, outside the, the bedroom door of your sister Sarah Jane, there is a calendar, a calendar that was waiting for you when you arrived. Uh, it's July 29th, 1916, and it marks the three-month three mark since you've been here. And in your time here, all of you have been transformed, uh, even you, Travis. When you arrived in May, there was a substitute teaching position left conveniently open for you. It was fearful, sure, but it was also a rush. All those students, the new staff, and more than enough work to keep your mind focused. And then I remembered I'd moved our story to July. Uh, so the summer months have meant to return to the bookshop downstairs, and after two months in the same three floors together, uh, you, uh, Sarah Jane, and Carrie have experienced your fair share of cabin fever. But you know 
that it's nothing. What you're experiencing is nothing like what Sarah Jane's experiencing. It's nothing like what Carrie is experiencing. And I'm wondering, is there anything you do before you head downstairs to the shop? Yeah, I give a small knock on the door. Uh, Sarah Jane, uh, there's uh, there's breakfast for you downstairs whenever you want. Uh, just you know, whenever you're ready. Uh, coffee, bacon, you know, the good stuff. Just uh, yeah. So I, I think that she nervously, she's like, oh, Tra- Travis, uh, yeah, everything's fine. And she tucks underneath her bed a, a pile of, of costume that she had quickly discarded the night before after arriving home and sneaking back inside after taking the train to perform as a female impersonator in a vaudeville act. I don't want to get too deep, deep, deep into it now and do a history lesson during the podcast, but I was very intrigued by what drag culture was like as sort of the the it was the, the the safest way to express gender identity at the time period was to essentially perform as a a female impersonator as a, a and present yourself as a male actor performing as a woman because uh, even at this late 1800s early 1900s uh, it was still frowned upon for women to pursue a career in in theater so um, yeah so as we established in the very beginning game of Rassalon that my character looks like me and if this character Sarah looks just like me she's essentially a trans woman suddenly thrust into 1916 so Michael does Travis know that Sarah Jane does this oh god um you know if Travis knows that Sarah Jane has been sneaking out at night you know he said uh, he just says I I made the coffee extra strong too I, I had a feeling you might need it <laughs> Yeah, you know, you know, I like it strong. I like strong coffee, so that's that's fantastic. And she's like, she like run, like she now like maybe disturbs Gunther more than Gunther would like to be disturbed. And then she like apologizes and she runs over to her like vanity and like is checking to see if she has like remnants of like her stage makeup on or not. It's like she fell asleep. Like she's she's gotten pretty good at at taking stuff off and hiding it, um, but she's not always the the best about it. So she's like. Doing like she a lot of times she'll get back and she's tired and she'll do stuffing and then she's like uh, okay so uh, looks like I'm good okay um, and I throw <laughs> on like a dressing gown um, and I, I take my long hair and I tuck it up under kind of like a top hat for now which looks ridiculous I'm wearing I look like I look like I'm in I look like I'm Scrooge being like you there what day is it but uh I I well it's July 29th 1960 <laughs> go down and buy the biggest piece of bacon in the shop um ironically you look like one of the Morbius doctors uh you have a giant yeah, cravat uh it's a huge cravat it's so big I don't know why <laughs> so I had like a dressing gown in a robe and I, I like pulled my my longer hair up under a hat and I, um, I, I go downstairs and I, I avoid the bacon uh, myself, but I, I do nibble a little bit at the eggs and I have some toast and I definitely have my, my share of the coffee. Four. No, wait a minute. Three. Don't let us get involved in big historical events. Uh, apologies in advance. That might get a little bit rough. Um, four. Don't let me eat pears. I hate pears. Let's not get into it. Usually I don't like... It's fine. Anyway, five. Don't let me hurt any animals, especially cats. Uh, let me avoid eating meat at all possible, if that's the thing we can do. Um, number six, uh, don't let me develop an addiction, namely saltwater taffy. It never gets out of my teeth. So Travis, as you head downstairs to open the shop, uh, you look out the, the front windows of the shop looking for uh, Carrie. Now, Carrie, uh, the wind whips through your hair as you pedal through the familiar path around the Farringham Town Square. 
Now, everything you've seen with the Doctor before, deadly dating apps, multi-armed monks, Toon Town, I don't think any of it has prepared you to spend three months in 1916 New Jersey. Uh, Kate, would you mind doing an awareness and survival check for me? Oh, sure. Uh, let's see. Awareness and survival. Let's check out what those numbers are. Oh, God. I hope I didn't, like, shoot myself in the foot. So that's a, that's a, that's a golden wrap on Carrie, I guess. You know what? Uh, I rolled, and uh, what, what we got here is uh, 13. Oh, that's so good. You're fine. Um, so Thanks. you can't we help but it. notice uh, the gaze of every single passerby in the town of Farringham. Uh, despite right. being in this New Jersey town for three months, uh, everyone still looks at you like a complete outsider. Uh, despite the growing war in Europe, uh, Americans have remained focused on entirely the wrong continents, Asia in particular. Uh, and as such, Carrie, you are permitted a morning bicycle ride, a gift from local law enforcement to the man they believe to be your landlord, employer, and custodian, Travis. You see, this is something we talked about in the lead-up to this story. Carrie is now an ex-con. She spent June in the town jail above the courthouse with a personal view across the town square at Killian's Books. This has understandably not made things easier. Uh, I think of the three of you, Carrie, I, well, honestly, uh, I want to ask you, Kate, um, knowing what is in the bookshop basement, the, the large blue box behind the stacks, do you spend the least or most time down there of the three? Hmm, that's, such a, that's such an interesting question that you pose. For Carrie. Ooh, I'm getting emotional because you guys made me watch those episodes and I keep thinking about Martha and those moments where she felt really conflicted because she didn't have answers from the doctor about regular old things that humans do, quote unquote. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I think she probably does spend a lot of time in there because, um, of course, she's brought her cat with her. And I think one cat in a bookshop is more than enough, uh, just as a cat mom of three. <laughs> <laughs> Mercifully, there are three floors in the building, so there is room for both cats. This is true. Uh, however, I think because of what she's been through and what this time is like for a lot of Asians, Asian-Americans... Staying in the bookshop's probably a little rough because it's, it's that whole idea of, and I don't mean to sound hyperbolic, but traumatic safety. It is the only place you can have that you feel okay in, but it's, it, it doesn't fit all of those essential needs that every human needs to a, a, a modicum of chance of survival. So she is definitely in this sort of survival space instead. And I would think that that would probably make someone really reclusive. I think to avoid a lot of issues, she takes these bike rides probably pretty early. She probably does a lot of work in the back end of the bookstore instead of client facing. Any sort of effusiveness that she originally had is probably pretty tampered down because it was... Pretty awful not to only be Asian during that time, but specifically a woman because of decisions that were made by the patriarchy. <laughs> I have no other better way of saying it besides that. There's nothing hyperbolic about that. I, I 
very purposely set up your real home in the in the deep dark corner of this fake one because I think even the doctor, well, not even the doctor knew that you would need a refuge. Um, and I think all of that is, of course, on your mind as you pedal up to the bookshop's front door. Um, and uh, as you walk up to the the entrance, you spot a familiar face. Um, one of the rare faces in Faringham that doesn't uh, disgust you or scare you. Um, Dean Latimer, uh, a young man, a student uh, Travis had met uh, amongst the, the class of the Faringham Public School. Dean is a troubled uh, young lad, I think, I think we can agree, and uh, Dean is played by Ben. Hello. We discussed this just before getting started, so I would love for you to tell us what is going on with Dean. So Dean is uh, very, very young, like about uh, like 13, 14 years old. He's been going to the school. Uh, Travis, as you said, Travis was his teacher, but he has been living rough for um, for the last few months. Uh, he had a falling out with his parents. And he no longer uh, feels safe at home. And so he's mostly been roughing it. Even when he was going to school, when he would finish school for the end of the day, he wasn't always, he didn't always have somewhere to go after school. Sometimes he would stay at school a little later. Sometimes he would just go somewhere. But he's mostly been living on the street and sleeping in wherever he could he could find somewhere to stay, um, which oft, more often than not was, you know, you know, in in archways and doorways and under bridges with a lot of the uh, other displaced persons uh, around town, and I think that I think Dean probably like connected with Travis on some level uh, during his time as a teacher during the brief window when he was teaching. So I think that Dean, knowing that that Travis also kind of runs this bookshop, uh, feels that the bookshop is a safe place to go. So like when 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 Dean is out and about and trying to figure out what what he wants to do next, um, the bookstop, the bookshop is 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 a a regular uh, stop for him. And I think honestly, I think the reason he has stopped, why he's there now, um, as as Kate has pulled up, is I think honestly, I think that I think Dean smells the bacon. <laughs> I think that's what it boils down to right now. That's perfect. So uh, Carrie, as you uh, you you've parked. The bike, you're, you're about to enter the shop. Dean is there. Uh, this is a great opportunity for two players to play characters interacting, so I'm going to get out of the way. I would say she's probably dragging the bike in, and it's uh, because it's the early 1900s. It's, it's those ones that have the giant wheel in the front. Not, not ginormous, but it, the, the front wheel is much bigger. No, it's not. I, you're not stuck on a penny farthing. I'm not going to let that happen. No. <laughs> I'm so glad someone else knew the term because I was going to jump in. I only know it because of the prisoner, which is ridiculous. Uh, the most British nerd reason to know that term. Anyway. But, it, you know, the design of the bike back then was still a much larger front wheel than the back wheel. So it's a little cumbersome to pull through the really narrow doorway, especially with all of the, the skirts and, and the corsets. Like, yeah. just <laughs> 19, early 1900s fashion is not nice to anyone. I think Dean has kind of immediately, like, seeing you struggle with a bike a little bit. Dean, uh, I think you. I think the door was probably locked because I think the bookshop is not open yet. But I think seeing you struggle with the keys and the door and the bike. I think Dean is, uh, I think he's, 
he offers to hold the door open for ah, yes which is which is lovely um and as carrie goes through the doorway with the bike she she thanks dean for helping her out but you know as somebody who has has dealt with a lot in the short time that she's been in there yeah. she's probably just like it's a quick thank you and it's like okay now now we go back to what whatever may be the task for the day it's not like a carried on conversation yeah sort of moment yeah i think holds the door dean holds the door open just a little bit longer to just kind of let the scent of the bacon waft gently into his nostrils and then kind of let kind of release releases pressure on the door so that the door starts to close slowly but in the hopes that you know, it, let it let it close slowly, but in the hopes that maybe Travis or or uh, someone else who is familiar with him will will see him and walk past and invite him in for breakfast. So it's just kind of very, very calculated, like letting the door close. As soon as the door sound opens, you hear from the other room. Uh, Carrie, is that you? Yeah, yeah. Is uh is Dean with you? Uh, no, but he's outside the front door. For you. Okay, tell him I have a place set at the table for him if he wants to come in. And I think this is uh, a regular occurrence. I think that whereas Dean uh, is waiting to be invited, uh, Travis is always there to invite him because uh, he I, – I, Travis definitely knows Dean's situation and he cannot – do what he wants to do in this in, in this particular situation and say, come stay with us. You have nowhere to stay. The problem is that Travis and Carrie have a very specific task and it would be too much trouble if things were to go awry, like saying, oh, stay with us. So at the very least, there's always a place at the table for Dean to come to, um, which is sort of like Travis – you know, still wanting to do the right thing, but has to stay on mission. And I, I think similarly, I think Dean doesn't just like, Dean never assumes that he's welcome. I think Dean's thing is, um, there's, a, I think by now there's kind of, it's almost the, uh, there's almost a ritual, I think, of Dean, um, like expecting that breakfast will appear, but like that will be available, but not wanting to presume that that he's invited. Yeah, and, you're a vampire. Yeah, you have to yeah. be invited in. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's just. It's just um, so I think. Please that, add the vampire trait to your character sheet. <laughs> no wait. Uh, hold on. Um, the actually there is one question that I I I do want to ask, and I actually want to ask uh, Kate is. Yeah. Um, if. If uh, if Dean has been kind of a, a, a semi-regular fixture, because I imagine there were mornings where he doesn't show up, right. but it's been like a semi-regular fixture at breakfast for for the last few weeks. Um, how how does Carrie feel having this absolute outsider who is part of a town that kind of the, the atmosphere is not comfortable for you at all? How 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 does Carrie feel having this outsider at the table for breakfast? You know practically every day um i think she understands the the situation that is going on with him because um through through this whole situation that she and travis are living through right now i'm at least assuming that they're probably talking to each other daily even if one of them isn't really too responsive back since they have a very specific task that they're doing she is cautiously tolerating it 
I think it's it's neither here nor there to her, but she does understand that his his current situation isn't the best place for him to be. Um, but she's, you know, it, it's that whole thing now of like, <laughs> this character is a cisgendered white male who is like very young so that testosterone and that puberty level is just like coming in right now so all of those like mixtures together into a little bit of a ticking time bomb and that can go either way i think she's very measured with him she doesn't try to be disrespectful in any way but it's it's definitely there's distance there until he can prove otherwise yeah um and i don't think they've had the opportunity to do that so when travis invites him in i'm sure she puts away her bike and patters back to the front of the door and waves him in um, and then then goes back to business because she's probably had something while biking. I'm sure she's made some Chinese, Japanese, like other Asian friends around that maybe they might not speak the same language, but they at least like can share the same food. And she has like that little quarter of normalcy. Sarah Jane, upon hearing that Dean is coming to the table, like, looks at herself and, like, double checks to make sure that she's not presenting any sort of, like, femininity. And so I think that I think that her her dressing gown is probably pretty unisex. Um, but I think just to be safe, she kind of, like, runs and grabs to make sure she has a robe. And again, she just, like, looks in the mirror and double checks her hair to make sure it's tucked under her little hat. Uh, comfortably to kind of like hide the fact that she's grown her hair out a and bit. to reinforce sarah jane's actions um i would say while carrie is putting away her bike because she's still gonna do that before she goes to grab steen um she rings this sort of secret bell that they have there's always a servant bell it, it kind of works two ways um or they've rigged it to work two ways actually because it was supposed to only work one way <laughs> tech level still good Right, ah, ah. Uh, but she she pulls the cord on that to uh, let Sarah Jane know that, uh, the, conf- confirm her suspicions about the fact that Dean is coming. Um, that's that's their secret bell of like, you need to be James now. Um, John now, sorry. Oh, they all sound the same. It's all J names. <laughs> 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 I think I think I think Sarah J might even like knowing that there's like definitely somebody coming. I think she would even maybe take the time in her room to actually put on like a pair of trousers and like a shirt and like a tie. Yeah, like like, like getting dressed. Yeah, for like her grab day, a pipe. Like, like a little... anything that was like super super yeah. like just overly <laughs> masculine, you know, just like copy of masculine coarsely ho- holding a brandy <laughs> early in the morning. <laughs> yeah, her she's holding her coffee mug and says, "I am totally." <laughs> Uh, look at look at me being a man. It, Keep it, calm and be a man. Ah, it's just on the mug. Oh, hello, hello, Dean. Have you have you engaged in fisticuffs with your fellow boy child? While 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 Sarah's going through all of this to make her transformation back into James, I, I swear to God, I'm gonna get that wrong every time. Uh, it is John. Yes, John. Uh, oh, you're gonna get me. Stop it, you. Uh, uh, no, it actually yeah, is. Yeah, John. 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 <laughs> Freaking John. I would say uh, once once that's all done, Carrie goes back to the front of the doorway and um, she calls for Master Dean because this is the early 1900s and uh, Dean had every right to probably hit her if she didn't use that proper vernacular, even though he is only a teenager. 
Um, so she in, invites him in and of course as all maids do escorts him up to the breakfast nook before she has to go excuse herself into the kitchen to get all that ready dean is just ensconced in the sense the, the scent of bacon and that is all that he can think about in this moment yeah it's like uh we're not in toontown anymore but i still picture dean like getting up on his little tippy toes and following <laughs> the the like scent line just with his nose on an, on an exact course uh, and landing in the chair. Um, so yeah, the, the, the four of you, well, I guess three of you are seated at breakfast. Um, uh, uh, let the tension begin. I think at this point, um, I think at this point, um, Sarah Jane, AKA John Killian has come down to the kitchen again and she is wearing a, it's, it's a, it's a white shirt with a collar. It's up with a little ascot on it. And she is wearing a coat that is kind of almost has a waist and goes down to the knees. So I think she picked it because it resembles the most like a dress of what she could find, but it's still very like matte. It's like her, like it's like her little like subtle rebellion as she's wearing this very dress looking coat. Um, and then she has on a pair of like fitted tailored trousers and she has just the coolest like cane to go with it. Like it's just a very like stylish, uh, like just this, like, as, as as fancy as a bookstore owner's sister could or brother, I guess, could have, and she's like, ah, breakfast, tea or coffee, John. Uh, I'll take, I'll take, I'll, I'll take, um, I'll take the tea. Another uh, coffee. I'll have the coffee. Yeah, coffee. Cream today? Uh, no, I, I will take it black. Oh, surprising for you. Is it? No, I I think that I often take my coffee strong and black and and thick and and t- tough. Of course, whatever you say, sir. <laughs> Meanwhile, we see Travis pouring milk into his. <laughs> just a fourth cube. Just drowning it. Ugh, yucky. And like he does, <laughs> he does. Co- he makes Carrie pour coffee the wrong way, where it's all like sugar first, then like half cream, and then like a splash <laughs> of coffee on top. I I like mm-hmm. my coffee black because I respect the bean. <laughs> <laughs> Dean is just dipping a stick of bacon into the coffee. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. That that caffeinated bacon, the baconated <laughs> grapefruit. Dean's all about it. Dean, Dean doesn't like coffee. He already doesn't like coffee, but he still wants his bacon to taste like coffee. For some instinctive reason, and she's never necessarily expressed this, but I think that's that, that Sarah Jane um, only eats the bananas and the toast and avoids the meat products on the table. So, uh, so um, Master Latimer, what, what brings you uh, by this particular morning uh bacon have you read any good books have you read any um adventure stories uh uh travis lent me a a a book a while back but i haven't um no oh okay oh you haven't read it yet it's it's i really think you're gonna like it uh i'm telling you hg wells Uh, I'll, I'll, i'll get to it i'm i'm sure Travis loves that time terror boulder dash. It's it's quite his favorite thing. And when you finish that, um, I you know it's a classic, but uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. I think you're gonna enjoy that one too. Okay, maybe you could uh, lend me that one uh, a different time. And then I I I, uh, I slide uh, um, I slide Dean uh, an extra slice of my bacon. I, I very rapidly pick it up and just yam it into my craw. <laughs> Uh, with uh, with blinding speed. Uh, perfect. It's just about this time that uh, 
there's a knock at the front of the shop door. Generally, the uh, the shop would be open, but uh, obviously uh, breakfast has taken a little extra time with the uh, the, the guest uh, dean. So, um, uh, does anybody uh, get up to answer the the front door of the shop? So it definitely would be me. So I'm thinking whatever Carrie is trying to clean up in the kitchen, she's got to sit down for a moment and answer the door. So she opens it and says, Killian Residence, may I help you? Uh, you are uh, greeted by the f- uh, a familiar face, um, someone who has been a regular customer at the shop. Uh, she is a woman um, in her late 30s. A uh, fellow teacher at the public school who Travis met and who has been stopping by every so often uh, more recently to uh, check into the, the book selection at Killian's Booksellers. This is uh, Joan Redfern. Uh, and she says, uh, oh, uh, uh, hello, Carrie. I wasn't expecting to see uh, you. Um, is the shop uh, not open uh, yet? No, ma'am. We're taking a bit of a break today. Oh, well- all right, I'll, I'll, I guess I'll make a few more paces around the square and see if I can come back later. To, uh, I, I... Would you like me to call up to Mr. Killian to let him know that you're here? Oh, uh, yes, if John's not too busy, I would, I would love to speak to him. Just a moment, please. And I would say that she probably allows Joan to t- step within the bookstore um, just inside of the door, because it's really weird to just leave a lady outside on the street. Um, walks up, right, walks up the staircase, and there's Miss Redford downstairs for you. Oh, um, oh, I, I see, um, well, I, 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 um, I... Shall I tell her to come up? Yes, yes, please, please, please invite her upstairs. Should, should I go? Dean's, like, suddenly very, very nervous, and like, should, do, do I need to leave? Do you need me to go? Oh, you're, you're fine, um... Travis, are you okay with Dean being here? I, I, it's fine. I'm. Oh yeah, I mean, I was just going to, you know, show Dean some of the new books. If you, yeah, why don't you uh, show Dean wanted... the books? That sounds yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, okay. That's, that sounds Dean, good. Yeah, yeah. You give me a okay. hand. Uh, yeah. You know what? I'll tell you what. If you help out around the shop today, um, I probably could pay you for the day. That, that yeah, that would be great. I would love that. All right, yeah, let's yeah, we'll we'll be we'll be down in the in the bookshop and uh you have uh, a good visit. And yeah, I, I basically lift Dean and take him with me. <laughs> I, I do think there is a moment of if, if we if we were on camera, there'd be like a, a flash of disappointment on Sarah Jane's face upon realizing that Dean is going to be working in the shop all day because this means that she will have to remain in John mode for the full day. When Carrie returns with uh, Joan following behind her, she starts cleaning up Travis's and Dean's plates since they have exited the room Um, and and gets back to just getting the house in order so that she can she can go back and hang out with her cat because hopefully today she's like hoping to not be bothered. (laughs) Do you think does Carrie internalize this a little bit? As, like, PA work of, like, oh, I have to deal with these, like, egotistical bosses all day. Yeah, I mean, that's the reason why she's kind of taking it so well, no matter how kind of, like, aggressive she is. Yeah. Um, she, you know, it, it is easy on her because she has done PA work. 
Um, and anyone who has had that experience knows that it is a lot of lunch orders. Hello. Yeah. Um, so if you're not good with that, then y you got to get out. I, I think that's like the extra layer of headspace that she puts on to the extra, extra layers that she's already kind of just trying to distance herself from in this situation, because I think that's her only way to cope after, you know, dealing with jail, which like added another layer. And then, you know, being, having to deal with Dean is a different layer. And then having to deal with now Dean and Joan is another layer. And all she's like, <laughs> she's like, I just want to go into the TARDIS, wish for some Taco Bell. I think it might even be interesting if, if, if maybe we can retcon this a little bit, um, we did have the idea of the blue box being this box in the corner of the basement. Maybe the blue box is kind of like the broom closet. Like like Carrie goes in oh, this, into her servants' quarters, and clever. maybe like there is a servants' quarters that's like enough for the like if someone for some reason came into her servants' quarters, they would see it. But maybe the blue box kind of has that perception filter on it a little bit that other people don't yes. notice that it looks it looks like a closet, but it really is actually Car like Carrie goes, she sleeps in the target, so she has a lot of space to herself. And yeah, it's a closet door with a very strange frame. I love it. Yeah. Right. I, I love that so much because it also like is so smart of the doctor to do that because by society's rule, nobody should be stepping in there. Yeah. Like nobody has business. And and Sarah Jane already has this kind of almost natural phobia of the blue box. So I think that especially mm. I think that I think that the doctor wouldn't 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 go anywhere near it. So this is like extra reason for her character of Sarah Jane to not stumble upon this because like that's in the servants' quarters, right. so of course I wouldn't go there. Right, absolutely. Oh, um, Miss Redfern, hello. Um, please have a seat. There, there's uh, the bacon's gone, but there are eggs, and um, I have had some toast and just bananas and coffee. Um, oh, uh, thank you so much. Uh, that's uh, uh, very lovely. Uh, 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 and she uh, she sort of waits for there to be a. Uh, sort of a moment of calm and she leans in and sort of whispers a little more calmly. I have to say, I, I thought the show last night was terrific. I thought you were, you were very, uh, very wonderful on stage. And she, uh, she blushes a little bit. Um, and she's like, please speak, please. I, I, I appreciate you coming. It means so much to me that you came, but I, I don't, my brother doesn't know that I do it. And uh, oh. also oh. The, the, the Latimer boy doesn't know. And I just want to keep that just of private. Well, I. Well, that makes perfect sense. I, well, of course, I. Sorry, I didn't realize. That. Um, but uh, I just. Uh, but I'm, I'm glad you came. I'm glad you came. Thank you. No, it was, it was, again, it was lovely. So I've, I, I guess, and you know, she's stammering and taking her time and being a, a nervous gal about it, obviously, because also I'm a GM. Anyway, and she sort of uh, continues being a bit sheepish and leans in and asks, uh, you know, I, I wonder if you've ever. Um, you know, are you are you familiar with the game of chess? Uh, of chess. Yes, it's you know I, I know it's not an unknown, but I'm just curious if you were a, a fan. Um, I I'm not not a fan. I I wouldn't say that I'm like an expert at it. I've, I'm hardly a, a grandmaster or anything like that. But I I I I have been known to move upon or two. Well, I <laughs> I was uh, I've been I've been. Absolutely desperate for a new chess partner uh, these last uh, oh ever so long, and I was wondering if you if you would um, be interested in perhaps uh, a game of chess and maybe uh, uh, dinner. Oh, oh, chess and dinner. Um, like a 
Are you? Miss Miss Redfern, I I. This is so unusual. Yes, I think I would like that very much. I, it's it's rare to to have a another uh, have a woman ask for my company, but I I think I would like that very much. Would would the dinner would the dinner be in your home or would it be um in a public venue? Oh, at my at my home, obviously. I I I. You know, I I don't think there's any need for the the townspeople in general to comment on our chess game. Yes, this this town is is quite fond of their whispers, are they not? So, meanwhile, uh, downstairs in the stock room of uh, Killian Booksellers, uh, Travis is introducing Dean to just a real clutter of books, a system that Sarah Jane has come up with on her own. Uh, that is particularly doctorish and seems to have no real order uh, at all. If anything, it seems to be alphabetized by the fourth letter. I, I don't know why. So these books are arranged by height, you say? You know, I, I um, John's got a system. It, it, it's strange. Some of the history is not in order. I, 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 I never understand uh, the filing system. So basically... If you could just, you know, put these in alphabetical order, um, you know, there's a couple of heavier boxes, uh, if you don't mind moving those. And uh, if you have any questions, just ask. I'll, I'll be behind the counter. Mr. Killian, sir, I don't think you can sell this this book about the, 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 uh, the, the Trojan horse. Someone appears to have scribbled some notes in the margins, uh, including some rough, oh. what appear to be like rough designs for the horse oh let me let me see that and i grab the book and i look oh you know some some kid came in here and vandalized this one i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna take this down to the basement uh are you okay to kind of be in the bookstore by yourself for just a moment yeah i I think i'll be okay okay Uh, and then so travis goes downstairs and he he knows where the air quotes servants quarters slash TARDIS is and uh, he goes in flip through the pages and goes oh my god this the original design was like three times bigger this is okay no, we can't have this and I, I put the book inside the TARDIS because there's too much information in there <laughs> while Travis is off of the main point of a bedword shop floor I want to do a little look around to make sure no one else is watching and then I want to grab the most valuable looking book I can find off the shelf and tuck it on into the inside of my jacket. Dean, you scoundrel. Can you give me an awareness and subterfuge roll? I absolutely can. I rolled a nine. You may not have statted a thief. Um, you, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I ro- no, the, the roll was bad. The stats are good. The roll was bad. So, yeah, you look around and, um... Unfortunately, it's it's books. It's it's a shop full of books, and you can't really tell. There's not. There isn't like in your mind. I think you know. You're a teen boy. You're imagining like there's going to be a book that is gold, and I will steal the gold book. <laughs> and unfortunately, there is no gold book. Um, there are some golden it's books. Dusty leather by people named Willie, like yeah, William it's in Shakespeare. <laughs> and I, I don't. You just toss it. The golden book is somewhere in Hominoptera. We haven't <laughs> yes, discovered it yet. Um, yes, yeah, exactly. The Book of the Dead My is not there. My favorite Hominoptera. But uh, unfortunately, you don't find uh, the 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 um, like a, the golden goose book that you're looking for. But you do feel um, uh, something rubbing against your ankle. 
I look down. Excellent. I didn't want to assume. A monster that's about to kill me. Uh, no, it is not a monster about to kill you, though there is a moment of terror. Uh, but what you do see is the the um, fluffy white form of Gunther. Okay. Uh, yeah, I... Uh, uh, being an avid lover of cats, I bend down and pick her up and give her some uh, chin and slash or head scratches. Uh, perfect. As you're holding Gunther, she doesn't uh, mind, which is uh, very rare for cats. Um, and you have sort of loving, blinky eye contact. Gunther seems totally into you. You're having a nice time. But you can't help but notice your eyes drift down uh, from Gunther's sweet little face uh, to her collar and the gorgeous uh, thumb size, you know, end of your thumb sized crystalline red bauble, um, a sort of shimmering glass that is so refined it almost looks like a diamond and as you look deeper at this crystal could you make could you do uh just a straight presence roll just presence on its own presence on 2d6 yeah Uh, i rolled a, a 14 oh boy okay um, <laughs> I rolled, wait, no, I have unlucky. Oh. I rolled two sixes, so that means I get to. I have to re-roll when I get two sixes. Oh, bless you, unlucky. Uh, I rolled a six and a three, so that that makes an eleven total. Okay. Um, yes, yeah, still. Uh, so you're looking at this this uh, this bubble, and as if you needed any more excuse to be entranced by it, it's almost like it's literally speaking to you. You, you feel a pull towards this thing. How difficult is it to unclasp from the? Cat take collars from the. She'll thank collar. you. Okay, I, I'll just take. I just, I just take the collar off then. She, um, she actually like Gunther rutches her little head, uh, and helps you remove the collar because she does not like collars. Uh, I'm also importing that from the cat that uh, <laughs> Gunther is based on. Boy, oh boy. Um. Uh, uh, so yeah, she, uh, she actually like gives you an extra little cheek rub and like gives you a, an even longer, slower, more loving, uh, blank. Uh, I slow blink back as is the custom among my people who is apparently cats. Gunther almost immediately. She then just sort of like changes into catapult mode and jumps out of your arms and off into various adventures amongst the shelves, uh, leaving you with this, um, this, collar okay i continue to stare at the uh the mesmerizing crystal uh attached to the collar um yes you keep looking into it uh i would like you to add the trait psychic to your sheet please okay uh i am adding that now thank you it's strange. As you keep looking into it, it's almost like something is looking back. There isn't an eye, but the redness within the glass, it moves um, as though it were alive. And it says something to you. It says, uh, help me. Hide me. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, and I immediately, like, I'm confused, but like I, I feel compelled to to help and hide so i stuff the collar uh with the with the crystal into my interior jacket pocket where i would have previously put a book but now i'm putting this stolen piece of feline costuming wow we gave you bacon <laughs> 
I gave you an extra plate of bacon, and this is how you repay me. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. By following what the character usually does. How dare you? Um, <laughs> uh, I will say that as you put the, um, the bauble in your pocket, it's like a spell is broken, and you hear a knock at the door, an increasingly urgent knock. Uh, a knock so urgent that I think, Travis, you have noticed it downstairs and come back upstairs. And you, you have a look towards Dean almost of, did you not, did you not hear that? Like it, you're actually, I think it's less like annoyance and more sort of, you clock it, but the, the urgency of the knock. Yeah. How is it, how is it possible you yeah, physically didn't incredible. hear it? Yeah. It is a cop knock, uh, is the best way to describe it. Yeah, uh, yeah. I come back up from the cellar and uh, yeah, go answer the door. Uh, there is a familiar face there, the uh, principal. I had written down headmaster so many times this thing, and I remembered <laughs> America, the principal of Farringham Public School, uh, a Mr. Rocastle. Um, you do not like this man uh, for reasons that will become increasingly clear over the course of this scene. Uh, Rocastle is holding a stack of pamphlets in his hand. Um, you can't see much, but you do see that they say, uh, be on watch. Uh, and there is a large symbol, um, that is actually the same symbol on his blue armband, a white cross that resembles a sword. Well, a white sword that resembles a cross. It's hard to tell and probably on purpose. Um, so yes, Rocastle, uh, says, ah, Ah, Killian, good to see you. I wanted to talk to you about uh, the boys' watch. Oh, there was a surprise. Uh, well, I well, first of all, I you know I was I'm going around today, letting all the shops know that tomorrow we'll be doing exercises in the forest. So it's not to be worried if you hear a, a rat-a-tat-tat of machine gun fire. Just teaching the boys the way around the weaponry uh, in case of uh, emergency. Uh, and I was wondering if you might... Oh, yes. You know of those legendary invasions of New Jersey. Well, you can never be too certain uh, in these trying times. Uh, yes, yes, man. Dean, uh, hearing this conversation and very much recognizing that voice, immediately like ducks behind uh, the stacks to uh, be out of line of sight of the, the gentleman standing in the doorway. That is a very, very smart move. Uh, yes, um, Soro Castle continues to Travis... Uh, uh, I'm, uh, in addition to, you know, warning the shops about the uh, impending sound, I wanted to speak to you particularly, uh, Killian. I think you'd make an excellent lieutenant uh, of the watch if you'd be uh, interested. The boys uh, seem to have a rapport with you from your days at the, the school teaching, and uh, it might be an excellent um, uh, way to ingratiate yourself into the community a bit. Uh, make up for the um, rest of your household, perhaps. Yeah, perhaps uh, if I were to join the boys' watch, I could maybe teach them some manners. <laughs> Very uh, interesting, but uh, I'm sure. The, I'm sure, as you know, the boys are, are well trained in the gentlemanly arts, fighting, boxing. Oh, I didn't realize you had brought someone else to teach them. Ah, I see, Mister Kelly. I see. Uh, I had hoped, Travis, that you would follow our school's motto, uh, "Mios intra qua extra," but I can see, Travis. You are not bigger on the inside than out. You're just... <laughs> just shallow. A shame, a shame. I'll uh, have to let the boys uh, know to perhaps be a little more wary in their patrols of the bookshop. Um, would you consider putting one of our pamphlets in your window to let the town know of our patrols? I'll take a look at it. I wasn't aware that you knew how to write, but, you know, I'd be 
more than happy to. And then I give him a playful punch on the arm. Ah. Like, <laughs> I've just been giving him the business this whole time. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Um, good. That's, that's, uh, <laughs> what a wit, uh, Killy. And I, I'd forgotten, uh, from our, from our days of the school, how cutting, uh, you can be, um, well, I'll, I'll keep this in mind, and uh, thank you uh, for your time. And uh, uh, Say, what, what time will you be running these exercises tomorrow, in case I do find myself in that part of town? Uh, noonish in the forest. Uh, just follow the uh, sound. Ah, yes. Stri- strict military time. Noonish. You know how boys can be. <laughs> Such a tight ship you run. <laughs> I love this so much. Well, um... If you're so insistent on punctuality, perhaps the boys could uh, perform a demonstration in front of this fine bookshop, 1300 hours. I'll see you then. And Rocastle turns on his heel, pamphlets in hand, doesn't hand you any of them, and exits. <laughs> I, as Rocastle exits, you hear a <clears throat> from behind, and, and you understand that, that Sarah Jane, as, as John, has kind of like maybe kind of stepped up. It has been behind you for a moment or two after, after uh, watching the end of this scene play out. On hearing that, I turn and I say, maybe I should join the boys' watch. I mean, he did make some excellent points. I really wish you wouldn't antagonize him. You know how dangerous a man like that could be. I know, but, you know, someone once taught me that never give a bully any ground. It's advice that I've taken to heart. Well, Travis, do you know what... After what happened to Carrie and... And with me being... And I look around to see if I see Dean in, in earshot. I actually want to spend a couple of story points to have already slipped out the back. I'm I'm no longer in that. Give me two. Okay, you have two. You, 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 a Dean-shaped yeah. puff of smoke is behind the counter. With, with what happened to Carrie and with, you know, with my days in the stacks when the the stock room i don't want extra eyes on the house and now you've just asked for an army of prepubescent and adolescent and hormonal boys with with a chip on their shoulder to be brought right to our doorstep don't worry i promise that i will never let anything happen to you it's it's easy to say it it's another thing to actually do it and then i i walk away in a bit of a huff and and Travis is definitely frustrated because <laughs> of what the situation is. It's just like, if only I could tell you. But unfortunately, we are in the next scene. Dean, where have you run to with your uh, fantastic prize? I'm trying to think what's more interesting, whether there's like a... Uh, I can tell you about the surroundings. Uh, there's, um, yeah, there's a deep forest to the west. Uh, that's just trees and trees and trees to the east. Um, there are the, there's sort of a smaller dock and shoreline area. It's not like a, you're not a beach town, but there is still a a dock you have on a very clear, beautiful day. You can see across, uh, the bay to, to New York, even, uh, on a, on a exquisite day every so often. Um, you can even see the Statue of Liberty. What are the, what is the, when it comes to the docks, what is the, like the, the, the warehouse or dock building situation? Is there like an abandoned building there that he could maybe oh, yeah. go to, to as like a, like the place he usually goes to to sleep if it's not previously occupied? An abandoned warehouse district in Doctor Who? Yeah, I can work with you on that. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, I think we can make <laughs> yeah, that. We can be right? friends. It's un- listen, it's unusual, but I think we can put it up. All right, so you are in a quarry. No, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
you are in one of the warehouses uh, admiring your um, your prize, obviously. And uh, could you do me a favor and make an awareness and survival check? Uh, no, I, I can't. Well, no, that's can't. good for me. <laughs> it's bad for you. Uh, I rolled a, f- a flat eight. It's still bad my for survival, you. Uh, <laughs> my survival is zero. Oh, you you should have thought it. Okay, um... I did. So I very deliberately did this. You are once again entranced by the bauble. There is something very strange about it. It it speaks to you in ways that don't make sense. It speaks to you in voices, all the same voice but different, um, telling you that things have gone slightly awry, that the plan is not exactly as planned, that uh, an extra variable is needed. Um, and all these things... As you hear them, they don't make sense, but you understand. And unfortunately, you are so distracted by speaking to a cat's collar that you do not notice uh, the hand uh, that grabs your shoulder from behind and turns you around, um, showing that you are, unfortunately, you've been cornered by the Boys' Watch, um, Rose Castle's entire squad. Uh, So far, only four boys, um, led by their captain, Merriweather, uh, there's also Phipps, Hutchinson, and Abbott. Unfortunately for you, they all look remarkably similar. Um, blonde, uh, blue-eyed, etc. Uh, each of them wear the deep blue uh, armband with the white sword cross of the Boys' Watch. And it is clear to you that uh, they're looking for practice. I don't know what to, I think I'm stunned in silence when I realize I've let them kind of get the drop on me. Like I think I, this is definitely a group of people I've been avoiding for a while, and... I think being briefly ensorcelled by the cat jewelry, uh, I, I'm, I, I think I'm just scared. I think I'm kind of scared and uh, kind of fr- frozen in place by their sudden appearance. Could you do another awareness and survival check for me? Sure, it's going to be bad. I know. Uh, oh, good. It's eight again. Okay. Um, I think with just that eight. Uh, uh, oh god I'm gonna say that's a yes but uh, you are able to put the bauble in your pocket Um, do you want if you want to spend a story point I could up that sorry I'm not doing the usual haggliness that I should be yeah no I I, I would actually like to spend two and go up to a yes and because I kind of I I have a horrible feeling about what's going to happen and I would like to give myself some kind of advantage if at all possible that's a terrific idea you may have read the novel um uh, yes, so with a... No, I just, I'm able to read the room, Michael. Uh, yes, uh, you with a, uh, yes, and you are successfully able to put the bauble, um, not just on your pocket, you slip it onto your wrist, uh, and because it is slightly larger than your wrist, it goes up your arm and up into your sleeve, um, and, and sort of, uh, holds on to the, the sort of wider bit of your forearm. Um, so none of the boys watch notice it, uh, which... They're not really paying attention to what's in your hands. They're mostly paying attention to you. Uh, I would like to apologize to the doctor for any and all time that she spends in or around my armpit. <laughs> I'm sticking to the elbow pit. Don't worry. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, oh, God, I didn't even think about that. Uh, Lordy. Anyway, uh, teen boy. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, Meriwether and the boys, um, they all have surrounded you in a bit of a sort of a crossy looking shape there. Uh, and, uh, yeah, Meriwether says, uh, 
how uh, how's how's the day going, uh, Mister Latimer? B- well, well enough. Hmm. I would like to see the rest of it, and then I can give you an appraisal. Uh, we can meet here this time tomorrow, and I can tell you how the whole day went. How does that? How does that? How does that sound? I think leaving you here would be a great idea. Give me a presence and survival. Oh man, leaning, leaning very heavily on definitely my weakest traits. Okay, that is a thirteen. Okay. Um, you... Again, survival is zero. I know. There's a reason Dean gets breakfast, like just gets invited in for breakfast every morning, because otherwise Dean will starve. Yeah. Sorry, this isn't our usual Doctor Who adventure. Um, you know that Meriwether is holding something behind his back. And I think if you look down, you notice that he is only wearing one sock. I, I turn and book it. I run. As you turn, unfortunately, uh, you only get a few steps and uh, everything goes black as a sock full of rock smashes into the back of your head. Cool. Yeah, sorry. This one's not, this one's only a little bit my fault. I'm adapting a terrible thing. <laughs> My hands are half bloody. Uh, <laughs> one hand. Anyway, Dean, the, the last thing you're able to make out are uh, the shapes of the boys' watch. The easy way. No, okay. Dean! No. Um, <laughs> you see the silhouettes of the boys' watch retreating. The last thing you hear is laughter. Um, and things go dark. And just as you think this is the end of the story, um, the end of your book, there is a light uh, burning throughout you, burning in your mind, in your soul, burning in your hearts. Because Dean Latimer, you have regenerated. Please take on the traits Time Lord, Vortex, and feel the turn of the universe. Additionally, you may make any changes to your sheet, including appearance, accent, and gender. Congratulations. Wow. Riley's face is everything right now. You hear, in your mind, in the distance, the sound of the bauble saying, I will keep you safe. Number seven, don't let me do anything impossible. It will draw attention. Uh, number eight, uh, don't fire a gun. You know I hate it. Don't let me fire a gun. Just no guns, okay? I don't care what if it's America and it's when it is. Just nobody touch a gun, all right? Number nine, Travis, you should try not to look uh, German, if possible. Just trust me on this. It's a little tense. After a long day of work, Team TARDIS or Team Killian Booksellers, after a long week, uh, generally, they... Uh, have a lovely uh, night of dinner together at the Washington Arms, the local pub uh, run by a, a wily uh, a Scottish veteran of the Boer War, uh, Alexander Shuttleworth. This is one of the few people that all of you have made rather raucous friends with. Sarah Jane, this is one of the few people you have been able to be honest with, and that may come into play a little bit later. Tonight is uh, a great big show night. There are people dancing. There are people singing. Uh, meals are being served with great aplomb. It is a time for the town to come together. Um, and none of you, uh, as the, the rebels continue, unfortunately, none of you have noticed uh, that Dean is not present. But I think current in both Carrie and Travis's minds are the fact that you were given at the beginning of this adventure, when the doctor dropped you in this town, 
a calendar that ends in July. Today is July 29th. And I think the two of you are keenly aware that either this is about to end or things might be going longer than you think. I think there's the the tension and the, the fear of that. And I just wanted to remind you of that while you are surrounded by raucous cheering people enjoying their Friday night. And um, I'd also uh, love to know what the three of your uh, dinner orders are as well. Before we get into mm. that, I want to know, is is this an establishment where Sarah Jane would be dressing as herself, or is this still a public place where she would be presenting as John? It is within the town square, so I think it would be a big it would be a big thing to present as Sarah Jane all the time. That's all I need. Okay, um, so she is John. Okay, cool. Yes. Okay. Yes, you're at the table. You're John. Yes. Yes. What are your dinner orders at the Washington Arms General Pub Grub? Classic British food. Hilariously enough. Um, what are we in the mood for? Oh, shepherd's pie, hands down. Do you, would you like me to describe the ways in which this New Jersey shepherd's pie gets it hopelessly and hilariously wrong? No, Alexander Shuttleworth is Scottish, so it is it is surprisingly right, but also... Oh, it's a Scottish pub? Great, get the cockaliki soup. It's gonna... Mwah. Unfortunately, uh, you're just a ghost in the wind. Um, uh, Carrie, what is your uh, dinner order? Carrie's always like a little bit on alert because even though they're in a relatively safe spot, it's still like there's still like a huge, obvious like economic gap between like her sitting at the table with everyone, um, even in the way that they dress because <clears throat> it's still in town. Um, so, yeah, let's let's say some soup, because if we got to run, soup's not going to give me a tummy ache. I, I think what. What Sarah Jane has ordered is a potato leek soup. I think if there's a potato leek soup that is made with, like, not a chicken broth, I think that's what she has ordered. Because I, I know that Riley quite enjoys a potato leek soup, so I'm assuming that Sarah Jane Killian would also enjoy that delicious dish as an as a option. Who doesn't? Uh, yes. Um, so I think you're all enjoying um, dinner together, uh, and you've got a terrific chance to reflect on your day. I had one of my dreams again last night. I This was so vibrant, you know? It was just... I can't believe how realistic they are sometimes. I think Travis shares a look with Carrie because we have heard these stories before and we sort of know what they are. Um, why don't you tell us about it? Yeah, did you write in your journal about it again? Yeah, you know, I'm sometimes I'm wondering if I should if I should write them down in in a more prose form and try to sell them to some magazines. I there are there are quite a few. Uh, like the Argosy or something that might maybe would, but I don't know if they'd be so excited for a story with the female protagonist. But um, I, I do, I do think that maybe I could make the protagonist male. I don't, I don't know. I, it's she's definitely a woman when I'm when I'm experiencing them. But this in this one, she. Well, I will say I do know of one bookshop at least that will carry it if you do decide to do it. Oh well, I mean it, well, it, it, that here was. It is. It's, it, I I don't know if most authors work out of. A bookshop at a time. It, this is more of a public. Oh, you were joking. I'm sorry. I understand. I, I, I apologize. Um. <laughs> anyway, um, th- in in this story, um, she this this doctor character that I that I imagined so much. She was strangely traveling. This is going to you're this is going you're going to laugh, but she was strangely traveling in a world that was made up of of characters from you know something like you might find in like a rose o'neill drawing or or something it 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 was like those creatures but like alive and and they were speaking with 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 doctor and and 
Carrie and Travis, who are are in 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 my dream, were like friends of the doctors and running around. And anyway, it was very exciting, and it was all about like the power of imagination and and, and thoughts on the outside, the way that thoughts can shape things, and and the way that dread would be. Actually, it was very. I, I guess I could say here this is Alex's place, but. I believe there were two men in the story who were, I think they were a married couple. Isn't that strange? Who knew? What a concept. <laughs> and like Carrie just like gets back into Perfect. the soup. She's, she's just so kind of, the, the, the allyship that, that she was used to is just not there. Um, it's a lot of that like very performative sort of language that Sarah is throwing around. So she's 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 just like slowly like just just as as salty as one can be under her breath though because she doesn't want to get thrown in jail again and you know doesn't want to upset um, because Sarah is under the cloak of John right now John's sensibilities in public because we're still mm -hmm. you know so I think it's loud enough for the table to hear but not loud enough that anybody else mm -hmm. in the bar can hear as we're all talking uh, Alexander Shuttleworth the the older uh, owner of the bar a burly Scottish veteran who always talks about the Boer War and nobody knows what he's talking about because uh, America didn't do that he steps up to the table and says ah it's fin uh, I'm not gonna uh, Scottish no, no, absolutely to lean myself? into it Michael I'm begging you yeah why why have I done it to myself just Mike Myers the heck out of it and if it doesn't work you can cry yourself to sleep on your huge pillow Ah, oh, welcome. It's fantastic to see the th uh, the, the, the three of you tonight. Uh, I was, uh, it's, a, it's a wild night, isn't it? Everybody's having a great time. End of July. You know, we had the fireworks a few weeks ago. It was wonderful. Um, and I just, it, it's very exciting to see uh, uh, the three of you. Maybe he's Irish. I don't know. Um, uh, uh, I'm just going to say, yeah, you oh, were yeah. doing pretty good for something I think we were all expecting to laugh at. And then I was like, oh, it's actually a pretty good impression. It's actually not terrible. Oh, crikey. Um, anyway, uh, so yeah, and then I think, Alexander uh, leans in specifically to you, uh, uh, Sarah Jane, and says, uh, uh, "We're ready uh, in the back if um, if you if you feel like performing tonight. By the way, uh, uh, there's uh, you know uh, plenty of room on the on the set list if you know what I mean. Uh, but I uh, don't want to you know don't want to pressure you. I understand. Uh, um, I, I I I I I do, but my my brother is here and, and Carrie. So. Well, I." If you can't be yourself with them, why are you being yourself with me? Just a thought. And uh, I think Shuttleworth just, um, again, performative. Uh, Shuttleworth uh, uh, sort of uh, stage leans back up as though he were sharing some kind of secret that nobody else noticed. Um, and and um, says, ah, and the, the rest of you, please uh, enjoy your meals. Let me know if um, there's anything I can get for you. We got a new chef tonight I'm trying out. Owen. Oh, he's uh, he's all right, but he's a little odd. So yeah, anyway, um, and then uh, Alexander sort of uh, blends back into the crowd, has a lovely time, etc. Was, was just top notch. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. As he goes, I think the only issue I've had lately is my waistline has been expanding. Whew. Love a pasty. Um. We deep fry oh, anything. Yeah. <laughs> I deep fried a book. Ah, uh, you just hear that from the background. Um, Not one of my books, I hope. All of them. <laughs> Sarah Jane has like a moment where she goes, "If if you will excuse me, I I need to use the facilities." And I I, I get up, and I I head back that way. 
Uh, so Travis and Carrie are alone at the table, which means that uh, Sarah Jane is not there when uh, one of the servers from the restaurant comes out. Uh, the aforementioned new chef, Owen, and he has prepared something very special for Carrie. It is a bowl of plain white rice that he sits on the table in front of you. Just wanted you to have a, a little taste of home. And uh, Owen um, uh, walks back into the kitchen. I don't know whether to trust this or not, Travis. Are you kidding me? It just took all my willpower not to smash it in his face. I'll do it if you want me to. Uh, it's all good. You know, there's worse things he could have done. Yeah. Speaking of worse things, I had a visit from good old Roe Castle today. Um, you guys may want to lie low tomorrow afternoon. He was giving me hints that there might be some trouble. And uh, even at the bookstore, it may not be the best place for you. Um... I don't know how you want to handle this. Okay, cool. Cool, Travis. So where am I supposed to go if not the bookstore? A hole? I don't know. I know. That's, I mean, maybe if you guys went on a picnic? I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if they're going to be in the woods, yes. too. No, I don't know. Let's let the doctor and myself okay, go on okay. a picnic alone. Look, That's genius. Look, I, look, I know it's been three months. I, sh- I should be used to this, but... Every day is a challenge. Speaking of every day, have you know, did, did you notice what today's date is? Does it does it matter? Yeah, it's it's two days before that calendar ends. I mean, I I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I kind of wish the doctor were here to tell us what to do next. Yep, but you know, she's not. So you know, you know, how how are, how are you doing? I know no one here ever gets to ask you that question. How are you? <laughs> If I could poop a building, that would be more pleasurable than what we're living through right now, Travis. Uh, I really don't have another way to put it to you. I can't, I can't think about there. there's only two days left because it'll end when it ends and it'll be over and we'll be done. Move on. What, what color hair did uh, Owen have? Uh, uh. Strawberry blonde. The manliest blonde. Mm, okay. I was going to hide a hair in the rice and whatnot. Uh, There's no way that rice was meant to be eaten by, <laughs> by a person, by the way. It's just No, I know that, but no, I, no, no, no. Right, by anyone. <laughs> no, no, believe me, I know. It's okay, Travis. I'm, I'm just taking the mickey out of you. I'll hide in the TARDIS and eat my Taco Bell in peace. No, I know, but I don't know what to do with the doctor. Though, because we can't bring her into the TARDIS. This, she's your brother right now, so let her buy into that. You're really having some white people problems things right now, Travis, and I really can't juggle your problems on top of my own. So, you know what? I'm, I'm gonna go to my closet, and uh, I'm gonna let you figure this out. So, thanks. Okay, just um, be be careful walking home, okay? Unless you want me to walk with you. Unless you want me to walk. You know, this is just across the street. I don't think... You know what? Just, just, just come along. I don't want to deal with this right now. Okay. My, my fingers smell like burnt toast. I've never smelled like toast in my life, Travis. And now I smell like toast. Okay, yeah. So I, I, I get up and I kind of 
motion to the Alexander that like we're going. I'm leaving money on the table. Yeah, he gives you the silent motion for all right. And uh, yeah, I, I, I escort, I escort you. An interesting choice. It means that you are not present uh, when Sarah Jane makes her debut at the Washington Arms. When when you come out on the stage, uh, Sarah Jane, you look out into the crowd, and uh, Joan is there. She's excited to see you, and she's smiling and cheering. And Alexander is there, and he's as supportive as he's ever been. And this feels, for a brief moment, like it is a, a safe place for you to truly be yourself. And the thing that sticks with you the most is that your brother and your childhood friend are not here. They still don't know. So there was a performer named Julia, Julian... Eltinge, or Eltinge, I don't know how it's pronounced, who was this very, very popular Broadway and vaudeville drag performer, and actually was more famous for his drag work than he was for, like, actual, which is, like, other theater, became, like, way popular for it. And I found this great photo. That's amazing. Yeah, of what, it says, like, here, like, Julian began the Broadway stage as a comedic performer in a few flops, but found the audience where he latched on to his gender-bending show, uh, performances in smaller houses. And I think, also, interestingly, was so popular that he launched his own magazine full of wardrobe and makeup advice for for cis women. Oh, wow! Like, uh, at the time, which yes. is so fascinating. So I think I think what I'm wearing is is what I'm finding in this great photo of this of this, this performer. It is this white frilly like lace top. It's like a dress. Mm. It's like white and frilly lace at the top, and like almost like feathery, and like almost like like it looks like a shawl almost over like a long white dress that goes all the way down to like the mid calves, and then uh, it has like this lace to it, and then there's like this gigantic frilly black hat with like flowers and fascinators all over it, and and there is in a pair of like seamed like like ri- like ribbed stockings with um, black shoes that have a buckle on them and like a like a like a very light thin cane for dancing and performing and feathers all over the hat and maybe there are two other performers also in in drag that are performing with me Mm. and i don't know what would be a song for that particular era because all i'm thinking of is like crime of the century from the play uh Ragtime, but it, I guess it would be like a ragtime type song. <laughs> yeah, it's that. Um, hello, my baby. So, hello, my honey. Yeah, it's like how in uh, <laughs> Murder on the or Mummy on the Orient Express, uh, there's a, a lounge singer doing a Queen song. We just we just do that. Oh, I love it. Yes. You know what? Yeah, that's a hundred percent what's happening. Is I I am singing "Don't Stop Me Now." Yes. In that exact kind of thing, because that is actually a really good uh, song to be singing of that particular thing. And oh no no okay. Uh, because here's what I'm singing. I am singing a ragtime cover of Lola by the Kinks because that is that, that is exactly yes. and because of the fact that this is like a performance where the, the drag is being played up and I'm I'm singing it and I don't I I'm not a composer so I don't know how I would arrange this song in this particular thing. That's the magic uh, of the theater. That, of the is, mind. that is that is what that is what is happening now is this very like intricate performance of 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 that. If anyone from Postmodern Jukebox is a listener <laughs> and would like to put this together. <laughs> yes. 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 Um, this performance, it's, it's, it's incredible. It's, it's a revelation for you. It's, it's, it feels like you can truly be yourself. And two of the people you most want to share that with are walking down the street outside towards Killian Booksellers. And uh, uh, Travis and Carrie 
Could you do an awareness and survival check for me? I'm devastated. I'm missing. The I couldn't have planned it better way. myself. You, you made your choice. You made your choice. <laughs> I know we did. Oh, snap. That is 18. That's very good. Uh, 14. Still really good. That's great. Okay. Um, so as you are both walking, um, you feel like there's somebody behind you. You've been in these scenarios long enough to feel the sensation of being followed. And when you turn around, you're surprised to actually see three unfamiliar faces. There's a tall, gaunt man in a top hat at the center of the three. Um, there's a, uh, a younger man who is exactly Travis's height and has bright red hair. And there is a young girl in a red coat with a red balloon. And the, uh, the tall, gaunt man, um, he looks to the two of you and says, Travis, Carrie, I can't believe I found you. It's just so lucky. And you are? Oh, of course, I've changed. It's so complicated. I'm so, <laughs> let me explain. I need your help. I'm the doctor. having the best bananas you've ever eaten because the gross Michelle still exists. It's a whole other thing. Don't worry about it. Okay. I don't understand that reference, even though I've now seen three Doctor Who episodes. Oh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's just about bananas.